Welcome to the AD Aesthete, hosted by me, Mitch Owens, Decorative Arts Editor of Architectural Digest. Joining me today from their homes in Greenwich, Connecticut, New York City, and an island off the coast of Maine are three leading figures in the American design landscape. Architect Annabelle Seldorf. My math teacher laughed when he heard that I was going to go to architecture school. Interior designer Ellie Coleman. I started my business, you know, totally with complete husband. And landscape architect Janice Parker. We have to populate the professions and stay in them to inspire people to be in them. Though the conversation ranges widely, the core subject is women in the driver's seat, leading renowned firms, mentoring associates, and encouraging diversity in the largely white, male-dominated worlds of design and architecture. I hope you enjoy the show. I think what's very, very important to point out from the beginning within this conversation, which I find a very interesting one, is I don't think I've ever had a male boss. And I wanted to know from your standpoint, when did you realize that having a female mentor was very important? And who was that mentor? I don't think I had a female mentor. Um, I didn't either. I, I didn't either. I, I started my business, you know, totally with complete husband because really at that point I knew nothing. Mm. And my late partner and I, Hedy Kravis, who was a dear friend also of Annabelle's, just decided we were going to do this. And we did. And to some extent, I can say Hedy was my mentor. Um, I was already had my office and all of that, but mm -hmm. she was like one of those people who sort of took mentoring seriously. She said to me, like, you got to be properly dressed and you should be living in a doorman building and uh, you should do this and that. And uh, it wasn't actually so much professionally than you know, she was a mentoring friend, mm. if you know what I mean. I love looking at Hedy's picture just as if it was yesterday. You all have worked together a lot over the years, yes? No, Annabelle and I only did one job together for That's one right. of Hedy's former boyfriends who decided to redo his apartment right after she died 24 years ago. And it was kind of a classic um, case of us being friends and being incredibly polite to each other. Here we came out of completely different uh, backgrounds. Me as a traditionalist and Annabelle as a modernist. And whatever issue came up, we were always like, well, what would you like to do? <laughs> exactly. What would you like to do? That's fine. It was almost like overly polite and uh, collaborative. But it was fun. I felt like I learned from it because it was a different perspective, a different starting point. And in some ways, I can say the same thing is true as Janice. Janice and I have only worked together once. But I think it's just the attitude we take uh, when we are working with other people. And it's, in a funny way, probably a little bit easier when you are working with women colleagues to sort of make room and... Uh, I don't know why that is. It's perhaps less competitive or something like that. Well, it's interesting that you say that because I remember very well early on with my elder daughter, who's now 18, but her coming home from elementary school and her 
her volume and her sort of aggressiveness it suddenly appeared, which was very strange to me, only to find out that she was one of four girls in a class of 18. So it was 14 boys and four girls and the girls having to feel like they had to compete to be heard for even the simplest, you know, to give the simplest answer. And I, I find the collaboration that women have to be just what Annabelle said. It's, it's, it, it's more open, it's more, you let people finish their sentences, if you see what I mean. Well, except that I think one has to be careful to uh, turn things into cliches. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't always love that conversation because we become these like better creatures, mm -hmm. uh, which of course we are, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's what I thought. <laughs> but women can be mighty competitive and they can be really bitchy and can be, I don't know, every bit as difficult and, and or whatever human qualities mm -hmm. are available are available to women as well. <laughs> I think that when we are on a team as women, though, we share the same type of war stories. We don't have to say it. It's an unspoken, yeah. you know, it's an unspoken club. We know we've all faced X, Y, and Z situations and we continue to face them. Mm. So in a way it's a, it's a, I was going to say brotherhood. It's a sisterhood. It's a fellowship. Uh, and certainly within that we can have our friction and we can have our problems because we're people. But I do think that we share an understanding of the, sort of inflexible and rather aggressive um, in the design world anyway, uh, career path that is required to become successful. Working for men can be a very inflexible environment when it comes to the things that you might need in your life as a woman. And um, I think it puts a lot of people into female entrepreneurship and into owning their own businesses so that mm -hmm. they will have a life with more flexibility. Of course, they end up with a life with 100 hours of work a week and no flexibility, but we seem to have this illusion that we will have more flexibility if we're on our own. <laughs> but I think it's really interesting that there are way more interior design female-led firms than architects and landscape architects. And I'd love to have both of your opinion about why you think this has happened. Certainly women, since Elsie DeWolf all the way through all the greats of the mid you know, and early 20th century, have been very vocal and I, and I for myself never felt second to men in the in the profession but when I think about how many women architects I've worked with yes many associates in very many different firms but not that many heads of firms like the two of you. I'll just jump in and then Annabelle you should take it because architecture is, is quite different but in landscape architecture you're a minority if you're a woman and you are certainly a minority in a profession that's not filled with minorities. Landscape architecture until the last 10 years was filled with white men. And it has only had a little bit of uh, diversity. It now has m more women graduates from landscape architecture schools than male, but this is all new. So I feel very strongly that, you know, if women don't go into these professions and populate them, uh, it will be and stay in them and establish the boundaries that are needed to be able to thrive in them as women and as men. We sort of miss the point that these are incredibly 
rewarding and wonderful professions to spend your life in. You know, I don't know. Annabelle, what do you think? I think that the statistics are very similar uh, in architecture, perhaps even more extreme because I don't know what the what the numbers are for how many landscape architects to architects, but mm-hmm. uh, but it seems to me that traditionally women were sort of in the like all that technical stuff. That's not for women. Mm. Or, Math, by the way, I my math teacher laughed when he heard that I was going to go to architecture school. But uh, I think there are other factors as well. Today, there are just, there's probably a few more women who graduate than men, but still a much smaller percentage of women who continue in the in the profession. And the reasons for that are, among other things, that when it comes to having a family, women still sort of take take the main responsibility. What's totally interesting, I think, is that when um, people, <laughs> when women are married to other architects, mm-hmm. they go in it sh- shoulder to shoulder and share the burden. The women who are married to sort of more traditional trades so to speak oftentimes end up being the stay-at-home moms and do choose a different path and is that changing i don't know i think it's a little bit a little bit of that is actually an economic reality mm-hmm. you know we do what we can to sort of encourage people to to support them to mentor them to foster them in my office, and that is probably the thing that I am proudest of, people have stayed for 15, 20 years, and they've raised their entire family while they are working in the office. And every year we sort of have a Christmas party for all of the kids that are in the office. But it's a relatively short period of time since the men bring in their kids as well. Mm. And so in some ways, the thing that I am particularly interested with supporting other women in this profession or, but also in general is to create a forum for greater equality and greater equality means equality between the sexes, but it also addresses diversity. Mm. There's something like two, maybe 3% of black people uh, who are architects in this, yeah, who are architects in the, in the States. And you don't get any resumes from black people because they traditionally go to the few people that they know. So how do you create diversity? <clears throat> I'm very, very interested in that. and. I have learned that unless you go out and find it, it doesn't just show up on your doorstep. Yeah, I think that's really interesting what Annabelle has said, and I know it's something that certainly in in publishing, in looking for designers and architects and landscape architects and designers in general um, of color is a very tough search. And like you were saying, the, the idea of, I mean, how, are, how is diversity promoted? 
how are you able to throw yourself into this to to make that circle broader i've done it by mentoring someone since they were actually in college they're now working for me and we've worked with you and and her on, on two very important projects right now and she's absolutely spectacular but i think we're also all very fortunate because we're at a certain stage in our careers where i haven't called a headhunter like maybe in 10 years so what happens is that people who are interested in our work thank goodness call us and so we don't have to market for the for, for diversity or whatever we're looking at people come to us and then it's our job to try to figure out who we think will fit in best with in the, the ethos of the company but outside of the ethos of the company in terms of um, you know, graduating classes, people who are um, interested in the field, you know, so much more outreach is, is needed to, to encourage, encourage people of all races and backgrounds to, to look at what you all do as, 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 as Jenna said earlier, these very fertile fields for everyone, you know, who's interested. It's a wonderful way to spend your life. It's incredibly rewarding. And uh, I do think when we go, to, we go to career fairs, we go to colleges. Mm -hmm. um, I've had a lot of luck at teaching, you know, sort of a senior seminar class at Rutgers. And we get an enormous amount of diverse men and women uh, applying and, and having interest in it. Again, I think if we, we have to populate the professions and stay in them to inspire people to be in them. Annabelle, what are your, do you do the same thing with career fairs and outreach to within university programs, that sort of thing? <clears throat> we do outreach within university programs. We don't really often go to uh, job fairs, but I think that between the two uh, things that were said between what Ellie said and uh, Janice said is, it all has to be true. Somebody who comes to your office has to be interested in specifically what mm. you do and why you do it and appreciate the ethos and the point of view. Um, and at the same time, I, as the employer, so to speak, have to um, open the door wide and uh, welcome everybody because I think that uh, in architecture, we cannot... We cannot develop if we don't welcome everybody. And so we learn from others as well. Mm. I am really interested in how people, um, where they come from and uh, what, they have, what they have to offer. And that's a, an iterative process. Everybody has to learn from the other and um, I find that this is especially in this period where we are all sitting on our computer all day and looking at either the gallery layout or the stacked layout. <laughs> uh, I cannot tell you how much pleasure I take in seeing everybody in the office and how much it brings home that our jobs, and I think all of our jobs, are about people. And the more room we can make for one another, the more we can hear one another, mm -hmm. uh, the better we can navigate the requirements, the difficulties, the aspirations that we have for a given project.
I think we've all been doing this long enough. We're not shy to say uh, <laughs> what we want to do or how we want to do it. But if we don't learn to allow letting people come up with a different point of view without clubbing them to into a pulp, then we can't develop. So that my two years in Japan really gave me a deep insight into this idea of uh, not directing a project from the top down, but having the people at a lower level come up with their ideas and then percolating up through the senior designers and through me. And, and I think creating a consensus also gives, first of all, gives people ownership in the project, which is terribly important. And creating a consensus and a team approach is critical in our work. I've never seen it as well done as with your firm, Ellie. Whenever I speak to anyone on your team, I feel like I'm they're communicating you. Oh, thank you so much. And we love working with Melissa and you, of course, but but it's like they all have a Vulcan mind meld. They all are one. <laughs> it's wonderful. <laughs> but I think that's really important what you said about opening up the dialogue within your firms to associates, junior associates, junior designers, that all, all the ideas are part of a, sort of a, a, a rich bowl of, of thoughts to, to pluck from, to, for everyone to be part of a project, even, you know, if, even if they don't feel that they're in the lead of the project, but they feel like they've been able to contribute something it's really enriching also for the company because I believe if I hadn't had these amazingly talented people that I work with, mm. I would still probably doing only doing Americana and trim and fringe and, you know, Windsor chairs. But because of all the influence of all the young people, I feel that they've made me younger and, and more diverse in my uh, understanding of the design process. And I think I've also taught them a lot of, the basics that um, mm. you have to bring to any project, no matter what the vocabulary of it. So I think it's a positive experience for all of us. Yeah, and one's role shifts, right, from uh, being the one who sort of directs a particular direction to being somebody who critiques more and mm. asks more questions. The process is more fluid in that way. And everybody in the office is far more capable than I am with technology and with uh, <laughs> sort of, well, in a funny way also, it's not just uh, on the computer drawing or rendering or whatever the case may be, mm -hmm. but also how to, uh, how to do deep research and how to create diagrams that explain conceptual ideas. And, and again, that leads to a much more interactive collaboration in the teams which i find completely fascinating and rewarding so in that in that way like you said ellie i feel uh, it gives us an opportunity to to grow and uh, perhaps also to to not grow old <laughs> or not to uh, <laughs> I wanted to ask you though, do you have any uh, men interior designers in the office? We have had. <laughs> the best way to answer that without being sued by whoever in the government. Here's the problem. Um, 
I, I don't have to explain it, but we've become such almost a family, almost a sorority in our office that the last few guys just didn't fit in. And I think women are so incredibly practical. The fact that they're creative, I absolutely understand that you can't work in any of our fields without being creative. But the practical side of women is I think what really shines. I remember the last, the last male employee I had was busy drawing all day on his notepad. And I was like, come on, Lee. We're installing something in New Orleans in two weeks. Are the trucks all set up? Is all, all the sheets and the towels laundered? Are we going to be ready for this? Do we have the light bulbs in the truck? You know, sometimes you can't get uh, candelabra frosted bulbs in other places. And he just looked at me like I was annoying him. <laughs> and that was kind of maybe the last guy we had. And now I have to say that I've done something that really has stood me in very good stead. I don't interview the prospective employees anymore first. I always have the girls interview them first because I, I always, I'm so attracted to young people and their enthusiasm. And I always am ready, I do this also with clients. I meet them and I think, God, they're gonna be terrific. And then sometimes you find out they aren't. So the same thing with, with uh, the employees now. I have, at least they have go through two rounds with two different groups of the women in the office. And then if they're, they, they seem to be the right people, then I meet them. And uh, it's, it's really helped. We have, haven't had any uh, rotten eggs in a long time, thank the Lord. But Anva, what's your percentage of boys and girls? You must have a lot of men. Yeah, we're probably uh, hovering about 50%. Like to, this morning I had wow. uh, a bunch of internal sort of working sessions with people. And uh, there is one team that's all women. And now I sometimes notice that. I don't usually think about it so much. But, but it is very funny because they're all very supportive of one another in like like an obvious way. Yeah, the teams are all great. And it's like, it doesn't even really occur to me whether, whether it's one or the other. Mm. I think it really is all about how do you collaborate uh, and different people bringing different expertise. I think it's also interesting to sort of look at, at age. Uh, like, I used to attract many more women in the first place because young men didn't want to work for a young woman. Now they don't care working Bingo. for an older woman. <laughs> Anomaly successful. I, of course, always think I'm still the same person. But uh, I think I have to get over that idea. Why do you think they didn't want to work? Why do you think that young men didn't want to work with a younger woman? Very straightforward. It's just an authority uh, idea. I think that this is, of course, personality based and mm. uh, it, it's kind of a gross generalization. But I think that this is, I hate to say it, 30 years ago, um, a 20 something man did not particularly like to take orders from a 20 something woman. And um, and that's changed. I think it's plain and simply changed, uh, fortunately. What do you think has changed I, that? What in the world has, has, has caused that to be a shift? I think uh, we could talk about that for the next couple of days, but let's just be uh, plain about it. Mm. Me too 
uh, is the result of changes that have happened in the last 30 years. None of that would have been possible. And I think that when uh, the Me Too, is it a movement, uh, became, uh, became a thing, at first I was sort of perturbed by it. Is this like a mob of people? Is this being unjust or something. And then over time you realize that the predatorial behavior uh, to just authoritative behavior, to just top-down behavior, is something that we all grew up with. Mm -hmm. We have a fundamentally um, uh, male-dominated vocabulary and that's just the way it is. Mm -hmm. So each and every one of us carved out our own places and we were lucky to either be uh, enabled or privileged to bypass that perhaps a little bit with uh, as a result of of our personality perhaps because of where and how we grew up like my parents never thought there was any anything other than a professional life for me and supported all of that. Anyway, I don't want to dominate the conversation because I think this is, everybody has a version of that available, no? Yeah, I think that men hesitated to work for me because they saw me as not a safe long-term career. That if they went to a larger firm run by men, they would have a long-term career there, possibility of long-term employment, which is another view, but I think they saw that possibly I would, under the pressure of my own life, trying to to be a woman running a business, that I might not be able to afford them the financial stability that they would get in a male-run firm. And I've actually had some young men say that to me. Um, they want a place where they can develop long-term. Now I'm pretty old and I've been doing this for 37 years, so they could have definitely <laughs> developed there. <laughs> And I've raised two men and have, and you know, have marriages and babies, the whole, the whole thing. But I think that's, that's, we were, I was perceived as possibly the garden lady. I, I wanted to ask that and I'm glad you brought that up. Was, was there ever a time in your careers when Janice in particular, because you, you, you brought this up, were there ever moments where you felt that your talents, your professionalism, your knowledge were questioned because you were a woman? All the time. All the time. But, you know, I had to make a deal with myself. You know, this was where I was compelled to be. This is what I was compelled to do. I really feel that this is my purpose. What I do is such a passion for me that mm -hmm. I had to just ignore it. Do you know what I mean? I had to just ignore that and keep on going. And I do think that when I mentored women, I've said this, and I don't know how politically correct it, it is when I say it, but it's hard work to do what we do, whether you're a man or a woman, we work hard, right? And we work hard because it's the workplace and we get paid for it <laughs> at the end of the day, you know? And so the struggles of being underestimated and overworked and, and, um, and possibly completely and totally joked about when you leave, and took it in stride somehow. Mm 
I, I, I'm not sure why, but I just was resilient. And if that was I was facing to do what I loved, then so be it. I figured at some point it would change. Ellie? I think it's a lot easier for interior decorators as opposed to landscape architects and, and architects because basically, basically, you know, our, our, our professions are a little bit, our professions are a little looser. And I think we come to the table really knowing how people live. And this is something that always shocks me that often I'm the one talking about function and some of the architects we work with only talk about form and the great staircase and, you know, the skylight that they're putting in and they don't think about how people live. So I think the reason how we actually got started originally was my background in antiques. Hetty's tremendous charm and beauty. She could sell somebody the Brooklyn Bridge, I used to say. But um, at the end of the day, because we really understood people and also because we didn't brandish a particular aesthetic there was nothing dictatorial about us my joy and why i've stayed in this now for 35 years uh, is because every day is a journey with different people and different aesthetics and and i'm learning something every day so for me i feel that was the critical part of the, of the profession for me in terms of mentoring women in, in particular, is there one question that comes out most, Annabelle, from, from young women who are coming under your wing? The thing that they're most concerned about or a question that, a question or a concern that, that is relatively prominent? I think actually the younger women who join the firm are very confident. Mm -hmm. They don't come with a lot of questions. They have gained a great deal of confidence mm -hmm. and they are aware of their competence too. And in some ways, it's actually the other way around. I take heart in them being as confident as they are because they don't think of it any other way. Like I remember a few years ago, I was talking, I was on a trip with, with somebody, uh, a young woman from the office, and we were talking about, now of course I can't think uh, of that television show that, show, you know, that famous one with the um, advertising people, what is called? Madman? Madman. Madman. We were sort of casually speaking about, have you seen anything? And she said, oh, I really like, I really love watching Madman. And I said, oh, eh, I really don't like it. I really can't stand how women are treated in, in that. It just really gets to me. And she looked at me like, huh? But that's history. And I thought that was such an interesting thing because for her, that was so far in the past that you didn't really have to be too upset about it. And is that all there is? No, it's not. I mean, but I think that women are a lot more outspoken, a lot more confident, a lot more mm -hmm. capable of finding their voice. I don't perceive myself as somebody who uh, walks around with a bag of wisdom uh, <laughs> to impart on everybody, but I'm much, much more aware of how much it matters that you're ethos, to use uh, Ellie's word, uh, is something that people 
are aware of. And during these difficult times, when everybody is scared and many people lonely, I think it is my pleasure, but it's also something that I know matters to people to be close to them and to be in touch with everybody and to share with them not only my own worries, but to be transparent about what our concerns are. And so that's not a specifically men or woman uh, type of activity. But if you are a leader of, of a group or of an office, uh, then I think it is your actions on a human level that really ultimately make you who you are. And I don't mean make me who I am, but make us as the office create the kind of culture uh, that is collaborative, supportive, communicative, open and, and forward looking. Mm. Are there women who you all might've worked with in the past when you were just beginning your careers that you look on now as particularly encouraging of your position in what was what were then very male dominated and still are obviously but um much more so fields when you were just starting out well as you know i i didn't work for anybody right. my late partner and i just decided we were going to be decorators after we wrote a screenplay that was rejected by <laughs> That story. We wrote we wrote a screenplay about um, my late partner's divorce from her husband, and we because I'm a movie nut, and we submitted it to a very fancy producer, who decided that it was the worst thing that he'd ever read in his whole life. He just won an Academy Award, and I said like point blank, "Well, what am I going to do when I grow up?" And he said, "I'd like you to decorate my apartment." He said it without skipping a beat, and that's how we got started. That was our October first, nineteen eighty four. Our first day in business but I'm um, certainly there were grace over the years and I always think you know wouldn't it have been wonderful to work for like a sister parish you know but also Albert at the same time so not necessarily I wouldn't necessarily or Mark Hampton or any of the people that mm. I uh, yeah. really had such great respect for but it just kind of didn't happen that way so it was on the job training for me <laughs> <laughs> yeah for me mostly too you know it's one thing I think Annabelle uh, didn't mention that I don't know if um, if you if Annabelle and, and Janice agree with, but I think, you know, very often we're taught not to mix your business with your personal life. And I think the reason why we've had, and I, and I don't know if this is politically incorrect to say this, but I think the reason why we've had such loyalties in our staff is because really we've, we've grown as a group and people really care about other people's life situation, whether it's the stress of having a new baby, whether it's divorce. We unfortunately had one young woman who had a nervous breakdown during her divorce and her new baby. And everybody really pitched in and helped each other. Um, I, I just find it so invaluable. And, and I always, you know, laugh that I was never allowed to go away to college. My parents thought I'd be like a loose liver. So I stayed at, at Barnard in New York City. But that I, I imagine that's what like a sorority, um, experiences like and I'm I'm very proud I used to be one of the sisters now I'm the den mother but um I think that really truly caring about somebody's life and trying to help them in addition to being collaborative on a job together I think that's really important yeah I think that's beautifully said absolutely yeah I think it's very very true very true 
I also am proud that we are job creators and considered that in the tax code and in every way. And we have spent, me and my assistant, the last two days working with our contractors. Some of them are very small craftsmanship, craftsmen and, and artisans who will probably could go out of business during this time. And we've been helping them go through the SBA loan process. And we made a spreadsheet calculator and wow. been holding Zoom meetings with them because they weren't going That's to incredible. And we're just so worried. I'm so worried about them. I think the thing that makes me the happiest is that I'll see different crews and different workmen on different crews and different job sites. And I know them. I remember them when they were young. They have families. They live here. I've always been a construction junkie. So, you know, a lot of these laborers move from job site to job site. And I, I know them and I followed up on their families and their life and their kids are all in college or have kids. And they're all so vulnerable. They're so vulnerable to this. And so I think it just deepens the commitment to our industry um, that everyone in my team feels because we are not just a design firm. Without, without the artisans and the tradesmen, our work won't be realized. You know, they are everything, really. And so there's been something about that that has been very rewarding, very, very rewarding. And I always say that I have the best group of clowns to have a play date with every day. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, they are all so funny (laughs) to me. I hope they don't hear me say that. But I just sit at my desk sometimes and just go, oh, (laughs) just watch them all in action. It's terrific. Annabelle, do you have anything to add to that? I mean, I love this idea of these looking at your firms, all of you looking at your firms as this, this big extended family that everybody is, is inherently important to the process. Um, everybody is, um, uh, their ideas are, are, are taken seriously. They're looking to you not only for, for, for leadership, but also support and ideas and thoughts and, um, and inspiration so that it seems very cohesive. Um, the idea like you were, I think Annabelle was saying it earlier that you know, it's not about top down, that that doesn't work anymore. When you're a good leader, I think everyone who works for you feels accountable when you show that you're willing, you know, that you have the integrity to do the work, then all of the people who work with you rise to that and, and understand that. And I see it, you know, with all the women who work with LA, they're, they're accountable to the work, completely accountable to the work and therefore to the team. Accountable and identified with the work. Well, because so, as Ellie said earlier, is this is how people have ownership of what they do. And I think that maybe what all of us have in common, that we are immensely lucky that work is something that we want to spend our time doing. Okay. And the professional part of it is the work, but the, the content of it and the, the humanity that mm-hmm. surrounds it is really what completes our lives. And um, that is something that I'm 
incredibly grateful for and that I feel sort of is the thing that keeps us going. We all have difficult situations, whether they're for one reason or another. Uh, whatever, whatever can go wrong will usually go wrong. And the rest of the time you have to work together um, to keep the show on the road. And then it's magic. When the project is done, it's absolutely magic. Janice, Ellie, Annabelle, thank you very much for talking with us today from your far-flung places, New York to an island in Maine <laughs> to Greenwich. It keeps our network going and you're keeping your network going. And I really appreciate your being with us. Thank you so much, Mitch. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. The ADS Theat is produced and edited by Diane Dragan and Emma Wurtzman. Music by Circus Marcus. All rights reserved by Condé Nast. To reach us about this episode or any other episodes, find us on social media at ArcDigest or email us at letters at arcdigest.com.